Hello, this is Keith Larson, publisher of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. And here for this episode of Control Amplified, I'm pleased to introduce you to the Remaking Industry podcast published by our sister magazine, Smart Industry. So without further ado, next voice you'll hear is Chris McNamara, Editor-in-Chief of Smart Industry. Take care and have a great day. Okay, thank you for joining us for the Remaking Industry podcast. My name is Chris McNamara, Editor-in-Chief with Smart Industry. Today we're joined by Paul Sirico, Fieldcom Group Director of Marketing. Paul, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Real quickly, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do with Fieldcom Group. As you mentioned, my name is Paul Sirico. I've been with Fieldcom Group for about seven years now, and I'm responsible for um, marketing as well as product strategy. So marketing encompasses both you know, communications with our members as well as promotion and messaging to the outside world, the end user base, and then product strategy is largely involved with how we take the numerous technologies that we own and offer and productize them and offer them um, to our members in tools and test and registration services and things like that. Excellent. Now, the motto of Fieldcom Group is connecting the world of process automation. Tell me a little bit about um, who and what is Fieldcom Group. Yeah, it, the name Fieldcom Group has been around for about eight to 10 years now. And we were the um, Previously, we were separate entities. One was the Heart Communication Foundation, and the other was the Field Bus Foundation. And together, those two organizations were responsible for two of the leading communication protocol standards that are used in the process automation industry. Back in, I think it was 2005, maybe, or maybe a little bit later than that, the organizations merged together and became the Fieldcom Group. And we've been operating under that moniker um, you know, for the last 10 years or so. Okay. So let's talk process automation. Um, this world is so rapidly changing. How is process automation changing in the past couple of years? And, and, and how do you see it changing in the coming couple of years? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of interesting. And I, I think, you know, you, you know this as well as I do, and it's probably one of the reasons that smart industry has, uh, is, is actually a, a title now in a, in, in a great publication. You know, heretofore, the process was mostly focused on simply creating something, creating gasoline out of oil or electricity out of coal and gas or developing clean water or, or making beer out of, you know, what, you know, out of water, um, yeast and, uh, you know, and what, and hops and whatever you use. But, right. you know, over the past, you know, 10 years, you know, in, in fact, largely driven by some initiatives that, started in Germany, like the Industry 4.0 initiative is, is one thing and that has kind of been encompassed by this digital transformation moniker. And, you know, the whole notion of digital transformation says that, well, you know, all of this information that is available on the field devices and in your process can be used outside of the process to optimize your plant and get more return out of your assets and do condition-based monitoring and all these various things, but you need to be able to access that information. So what's what's really changed in the last 10 years is this notion of taking the, you know, the smart devices that are in your plant and have been in your plant and making that information accessible 
to really kind of create a uh, you know a, a smart industry, a smart process automation industry, if you will. How do you like the way I I, I work that in? Huh? <laughs> Pretty clever. I like it. You know, so now we're we're kind of reaching a point, and it's it's a it's a spectrum, but of programs validating themselves and scaling initial efforts and kind of a mainstreaming of a lot of these tools, techniques, and technologies here. Um, where do we go? What does the near future look like here? Well, I think, you know, you know, one of the things I've learned for better or worse in this industry is that things move slowly. And, you know, we're still at the very infant stage of digitalization in a lot of the process automation sectors. I, I like to talk a lot about oil and gas because that, that happens to be one of the segments where many of our members have large businesses. And, you know, it, it, it takes a long time for those folks to adopt new technology. They have a very, very large installed base of instruments that support the heart communication protocol, which is one of the protocols that we, you know, that we manage and, and own. And, you know, the, the, the effort in, entailed in just getting information out of those heart devices which had been really difficult previously, is now getting a lot easier. So we're starting to see some of our larger end users actually you know, take much more advantage of the smart information in their heart devices than they had previously. So that's kind of the first step. Obviously, then, as you're putting in new builds and you're, and you're upgrading your existing infrastructure, you want to pay attention to making sure that you are adopting technologies that are built for the long haul. You know, you don't want to buy the asset management system, version of the asset management system that was available 10 years ago. You want to buy the version that's available now that supports some of the new technologies and some of the new digitalization things that we've been working on at Fieldcom Group in collaboration with others, obviously. Okay. Let's talk about one of those collaborations, Fieldcom Group and OPC Foundation. Talk to me about that partnership and uh, what's the goal? What's the point? Yeah, you know, we've worked with the OPC Foundation for a long time. The FDI technology that we own, field device integration technology, the FDI standard that we own, it's actually at its core are some device information models that we co-developed with the OPC Foundation, gosh, a long, long time ago. But more, more recently, We've collaborated with them on really two specific initiatives. The first one is an initiative called PADIM. Now, that stands for Process Automation Device Information Model. And so let's parse that a little bit. So it's actually, it's an information model. So it's a way that information is structured. And the type of information that's being structured is from devices. And it's from devices that are used in the process automation industry. So we co-owned this standard. We created this standard initially with, with the OPC Foundation about five or so years ago. Um, and it's really become quite favored by a lot of organizations in the industry. And a couple months ago, we announced that we've extended the ownership of that standard to uh, numerous other organizations, including Namur, ZVI, VDMA, the ISA 100 Wireless Initiative, um, ODVA and, and Profibus, Profibus International. So it's a very well-rounded standard that allows for an OPC UA server. In this case, that server would be in an edge gateway or perhaps even in a field device to serve 
process automation device information model information up into an OPC UA-enabled client that can read and structure and do analytics and monitoring, for example, on that information. So that's the first initiative. The second collaboration that we've entered into with the OPC Foundation is associated with their OPC UAFX um, initiative, which is the field-level communication sector of the OPC Foundation. And, and, you know, for that initiative, we both kind of started thinking about what a next-generation process automation system might look like in the future and they started looking at it several years ago from a controller to controller standpoint. So if two controllers were communicating using OPC technology, what might be the standards and the profiles that you would need to create within the OPC uh, modeling framework to, to, to instantiate that? Mm-hmm. At the same time, we were working within FieldCom Group on a device to controller standard for the kind of the same communication. So if a device was native OPC UA and it was speaking with a controller that was native OPC UA, what would be the information model that would need to be created to implement the the, the common use cases, et cetera. So it's a a very long-winded way of saying that we were both kind of working on the problem from a couple of different directions. And earlier this year, we announced that the FieldCom Group initiative would now become part of the OPC UA FLC organization and the new instrumentation working group would be established within the OPC Foundation to continue and further this work. So, you know, this is an, these are both examples of how organizations in the industry that previously might have competed with each other are now starting to collaborate with one another simply because the, you know, the complexity of technology both at the you know down at the field instrument level as well as up at the systems level and the cloud level is getting is getting so you know so so complicated uh, yeah. that you just can't do everything on your own anymore. So a, a way to mitigate some of that complexity. So how, how does it, how does a collaboration like this benefit the end user? What efficiencies emerge with the with these two initiatives we just talked about here? One obvious efficiency and at a very high level is you're not having to make a choice between competing standards. Okay. You know so. In an ideal world, you know, there, there will always be many standards. There will always be many protocols. But at least by collaborating on some of these higher-level architectures and higher-level software systems, you're presenting the end user with a simpler decision to make. And the other thing that we're doing that will also help the end users, and this is particularly true with, with PADIM, is we're, we're trying to implement what we call protocol agnostic communication models. So, you know, heretofore in a plant, you know, you 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 might have to know if your pressure transmitter or your or your Coriolis flow meter was speaking heart or foundation field bus or profinet or ethernet IP. You know, with PADIM, if it if a device is enabled with PADIM at the higher levels of that software uh, of the software systems, you know, you don't really care what the protocol is. All that you really care about is the information that the device is presenting. How it's communicating that information to you is, is irrelevant. Because think about it as an IT person who's trying to build an analytics platform or a monitoring platform. He doesn't care what the underlying communication protocol sure. is. He just wants to know what the mass flow rate is and, you know, whether, you know, whether it's deviating from one unit to another and why it might be deviating. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about partnerships here. Um, 
talk to me about value and and, and complications with multi-vendor interoperability of, of instrumentation devices like this. Are these you know emerging more frequently or challenges becoming you know less problematic? Talk to me about that. Well, you know, it's that's a really good question. I, I I think that you know as the technologies grow and become more complex, obviously the the registration and the certification and the testing associated with these products becomes commensurately more complicated. And you know, thankfully, a big part of the Fieldcom Group business is test and registration. So. Um, you know, we, we like to think that if a host system, um, an Emerson host system that supports FDI technology or an ABB asset management system that also supports FDI technology, if those are being used with instrumentation from any vendor that have, that have gone through the test and registration process at Fieldcom Group, as have those host systems, you know, you can pretty much be assured that the, you're going to have the multi-vendor interoperability that you need. I think this is somewhat unique in the process automation industry and in the operations technology sector as opposed to the IT sector. And, you know, in the IT sector, you're principally concerned about, you know, the transport of packets and that the packets are getting from one place to the right, to the other place and in, in, in the right place in the right order. And in when you get into OT technology, where we're dealing with a lot more app, what I call application layer stuff, maybe that's not the, the official formal name for it, but where the data you're concerned about what the meaning of the data is and what the meaning of the information is. So it's not just that the data is getting there; it's the, it's the right data and it's being read correctly by both systems. Okay, interesting. We were just talking about field instrumentation, which is constantly evolving here. How is that influencing the larger process automation industry? How does that dictate uh, changes in, in approaches there? Oh, man, this can be a book in itself. This is all about <laughs> kind of the the ITOT convergence um, discussion, really, because, you know, previously all of the uh, the process was managed by the OT organization and they were responsible for, you know, producing, you know, 85 thousand gallons of beer a day or something or whatever, what, what, whatever you're making. And, you know, the, the IT organization really had no influence there. But, you know, what you're seeing now is the, the OT and the IT organizations kind of, kind of blending and you need to come up with common languages and, you know, common models for, communication like OPC, OPC UA as an example, which is used in both areas so that you can facilitate the transformation of the transfer of data and the digitalization of data from those OT silos into the IT organizations where much more complex analytics and you know machine learning algorithms and other you know monitoring applications and alarming and alerting applications can be implemented than you can maybe in an OT environment. So, you know, so the bottom line is, you know, as the instrumentation has gotten more complex, as the barriers to moving data from one place to another have gotten less complex, it's kind of facilitating this whole new industry, you know, of advanced analytics and monitoring and optimization. Okay. So when we're talking about advanced analytics, we're talking about, you know, mountains of data. And that leads yeah. to this question about cloud computing capabilities. Let's let's switch gears here and talk about that topic there. Give me your take, private clouds versus public clouds. I know this is a discussion 
that is common in your yeah. world? What's yeah, your take <laughs> yeah, it's you know there's private clouds and there's public clouds and there's which cloud <laughs> you know what cloud right. um, I, yeah. I think there's kind of three areas you know what what we've seen in a lot of our a lot of the industries that we serve I, I keep going back to oil and gas is that you know the folks in oil and gas industry particularly the closer you get to upstream where you're where you're doing you know drilling and exploration and things like that the much less likely they are to want to have any of their what they consider to be proprietary information which is just about everything um, they don't want to see any of that available in the in the public domain so so we'll see large enterprises will be building their own cloud data centers. Now, who they use and what they use is up to them. Maybe they're using Microsoft Azure, maybe they're using AWS, maybe they're using, you know, some some of the of the more 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 um, sector focused clouds like Cumulosity from Software AG or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the first point. I think a lot of these so so the challenge for for companies like us is to recognize that you know, it's not one single cloud. It's a, you know, it, it, the, the cloud itself is composed of many, many clouds. And, and you know, so we have to define standards um, that will, you know, take that into account and not be tied up to any any single platform. And I, I really don't see a lot of people that are interested, a lot of end users, other than maybe smaller end users that are interested in, in, in public cloud infrastructure. You know, that that changes when you get into really wide field SCADA applications where you're dealing or you're going across multiple states and long areas and stuff like that, where okay. some of that information might be stored up, up in Azure. But ultimately, I think a lot of the private stuff is going to be hosted in some enterprise data center somewhere. OK. OK. Last question for you. I want to I want to go big picture here. We're talking standards. Um, yeah. We're talking digitalization of these approaches here. What's the interplay there? How is, you know, Industry 4.0 digitalization, how is that changing the creation and the adoption of standards and the implementation of standards and, and, and then those standards influencing larger business strategies? You know, do digital capabilities make standard adoption easier to implement? Does it complicate these efforts? Is it both? What's your take? You know, I, I want to go back to collaboration again, and I want to give kind of two examples of collaboration. You know, the first one I've already highlighted, so I'm not going to go into it in detail, but it's the PADM, Process Automation Device Information Standard, which was originally developed by OPC Foundation and Fieldcom Group, and right. is now owned by eight organizations. One of those organizations is an end-user organization. It's it's not more. And, you know, heretofore having an end user actually be engaged in the formal development of a standard is, you know, was kind of, kind of unheard of. Um, and, 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 but, you know, but that's happening now. And it's, I think, again, it speaks kind of to the fact that they want to adopt something and they want to have a lot, a, a, a meaningful voice in what, and what it is that's being built that they can adopt. So, sure. so, you know, so, and, and then the, the the other example of collaboration that I want to give that I, I didn't touch on previously is the the whole collaboration around Ethernet APL, which is a new two wire power over Ethernet standard that will someday represent a very very large share of the physical layer that's used to communicate to to connect instrumentation to systems. 
Previously, that type of work would have been done by an IEEE organization and an IET organization, and vendors would have, you know, come together and made something. But, you know, in this instance, what happened is is literally twelve industry partners, companies like Siemens and ABB and Rockwell and Schneider and and, and Emerson and others, would, along with four, the four largest standards organizations, um, so the OPC Foundation, Fieldcom Group, ODVA. And Profibus, Profibus, Profinet International, we all formed an or, a kind of a, a joint organization to usher the IEEE physical layer that was being developed into a more well-defined physical layer that would be used could be used in intrinsically safe applications and hazardous areas and things like that. Mm-hmm. And that is what is the Ethernet APL technology. So now you've got basically 16 organizations who've, com- who've collaborated over the last three years to create a new physical layer that promises to be the physical layer of the future for process automation systems and instrumentation. And that makes it that much easier for end users to make a decision to adopt the technology. We know we've got 16 organizations behind it. And guess what? It's Ethernet. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so, so I don't have to make a decision whether I have, I'm having a heart network here and an FF network here and a Profinet network here. It's all Ethernet. And you can run your automation protocol over it. So we're trying to make it easier for users and it's it's challenging because you know it is it is it is challenging to do these collaborative organizations. It's, there's a lot of sweat and effort that behind the scenes that goes into, you know, creating the entities that ultimately work together. But it's well worth it, and I think it's great for the end users in the long run. For sure. And if it's if you don't make it for them to readily eagerly adopt it, it's a moot point, anyways, right? I mean, it, it, yeah, right. You know, there's so many standards, but a lot of them aren't adopted. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Paul Sirico with Fieldcom Group, thanks for sharing your insights today on the Remaking Industry podcast. We're thrilled to talk to you. Excellent. Thank you. And to our listeners, as always, we remind you to go out and make it a smart day.